Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Ramos Law Difference Makers podcast. And I'm Dr. Jim Hoven, and it is my opportunity and my job to speak with people who are making a difference in the lives of others in their community and at lots of different scopes. So today I have a wonderful, wonderful guest, someone who has become a dear friend of mine and someone I get to work with every single day. This is one of our attorneys at Ramos Law. She does an incredible job helping people understand the nature of their case, their injuries, and she has a wonderful story that I'm gonna share with you. So without further ado, I am happy to welcome to the show, Miss Alicia Oaks. Alicia, thanks for joining me. No problem, Dr. Hoven. Good morning. Good morning. How are you doing this fine day? You came down from Colorado Springs to join us. You yep. feeling pretty good about things? Yeah, we drove bright and early this morning. Awesome, awesome. And your, your traffic was smooth. We were talking about this earlier. The traffic counts are still down here um, with respect to because of COVID stuff. I noticed that we're having that in the Springs. Are you seeing that on that side too? Um, well, for our for our travel here this morning, it, it did seem pretty light still. Um, even with, I guess, construction areas still happening, it was pretty light. But in Colorado Springs, things seem pretty heavy. Okay. Yeah. Well, you know, I, it's funny because I heard that in Colorado Springs, that market is going crazy. I had a marketing call yesterday, and the number of people that are moving to the Springs, because Denver's gotten so expensive, that the number of people moving to the Springs is is absolutely crazy. Are you guys seeing that down there? Yeah, and I will not complain because I'm a transplant too. So, you know, <laughs> 2015, we were like, yep, we're gonna be there. We've been wanting to be here for years and we're gonna make it happen. Um, so I am not complaining by any stretch, but yes, it is, it is off the hook in Colorado Springs. There's lots of construction. There are lots of new people and new things happening everywhere. And, you know, the, the Colorado Springs adventure, I've lived here my whole life. And the only time I went away was for my chiropractic training, Every, everything else, all my time has been in Colorado. One thing I've never done is I've never done the incline. And for people that don't know what the incline is that are listening in our audience, it is, what is a quarter or half mile? It's, but it's straight up, regardless of what it is, it is at 2,500 steps or something that yes. goes straight up this mountain. And it's the ultimate for people that wanna get a good view. And if you really wanna test your heart, you go pound that out. Have you had a chance to do the incline? Absolutely, What'd a few times. Um, we did it, God, within months of moving to Colorado Springs. So moving you know, from east to west, you're adapting to elevation. And <laughs> one of somebody recommended that we and the kids go do the incline. Um, yeah. It is absolutely amazing. It's a little scary at times because you kind of feel like you're just straight up. Mm -hmm. um, but the views are amazing. Um, it's a real, you get a real sense of accomplishment doing it and you got a nice hike down. Um, since moving there, I've heard quite a bit about the incline and its you know transformation over the years. I think when it first started, it was even treacher more treacherous for other reasons. Okay. Um, you know, pipes and bars and, you know, how it was set up. And they recently, I mean, it was closed for a while. They recently redid it. And so I think they've got it as good as it's going to be safety wise. There you <laughs> go. You still got to hike up it, but yeah, it's amazing. I love that. Well, we'll have to do that sometime. You, you can be my Sherpa. That's my Everest. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> so as we get started on, on our show today, I'm interested to hear a little bit about your background because I know that uh, having gotten to know you personally now and understanding some of the ways that you've transitioned through law, I'd, I'd like to hear your story growing up. What kind of kid were you? Were you always uh, geared towards sports versus academia versus clubs versus crafts or anything else? What were the things that really interested you as a, as a young lady? Um, always nerdy. 
Um, always loved school. That hasn't changed at all. But you love sports too. I do love sports, but there's a difference between loving sports and being in sports. Um, <laughs> the coordination and all that, I'm not sure is there. The best I do is go running now. Um, I dabbled in sports when I was young, but I wouldn't say I excelled at it or okay. I probably didn't enjoy it very much. But you were really good at school and school was your thing. Yes. And so when you were... Um, going through your early years and your early training, did you know that you wanted to be a public servant in the form of an attorney or how did, how did you kind of move into that zone of your, of your life and your decision-making? Um, I've always liked school and learning and that has propelled me forward. Um, I had good teachers early on that kind of instilled on, instilled in me that no matter how old you are, you're learning and you should be. Um, and so I take that to heart. And so I was propelled forward to go to law school because I love school and challenges and I like that education. Um, but you decided not to go into math or science or engineering. How, no. how, how, did, it, that, how did it turn out that um, law was your choice? That's part one. And part two of the question, do you have any teachers that really stick out? So you said you had some really good teachers. Was there any one or ones that just really, there was something that that is marked on you, you're they're they're in you, you're carrying on their legacy. Yeah. Um, so law school and public service, I I like people. Um, I like talking to people, I like helping people, and I don't know exactly where that comes from, but I enjoy um getting people places where they need to be. Um I don't like the idea even now um that people have needs and how do you say it? Through no fault of their own, they just don't know how to get there or yes. they don't know the best way to get there. And if I can help them with that, I like I like to help. Um, I might not always know the best way, but I might be more equipped to get those answers than they are. Mm -hmm. And so that's really for anybody in my orbit. Um, yeah. But how did you go into law again versus an engineering or math or science or culture, or anthropology? Was there a turning point where you go, law school because the thing like we've all known the professional students mm -hmm. right that they're going this degree that degree this degree that degree so when i finished my undergraduate degree i started working at an insurance company um i was working as an insurance adjuster and kind of you know worked my way up you know doing property claims starting to do bodily injury claims and i noticed at some point when i was helping on a file or I was working it up, you know, it might go to litigation and it was being taken away from me, right? To something called a litigation adjuster. And I wanted a piece of that, but um, I wanted to keep working my file with the people that I was helping and instead of it going to somebody else. And so my thought process was, well, I wanna be that person. I wanna be the lit adjuster. But before I even got there, I realized that was kind of short-sighted and I, would much prefer to be in litigation or being the attorney on the other end, um, really looking at, you know, instead of who the litigation adjuster is reporting to, to be part of that team, but to see how far I could take it. So, yeah. So you had an experiential, a, a gut feeling, if you will, of being in it and saying, that's the highest level for me to serve as opposed to this level. I yeah. can go to that level. Now, were you in school while you were in the uh, insurance world or had you graduated and then you went insurance and then you went back to school for your legal training? Yeah. So I graduated 
um, from Providence College in 1997 and went to work um, and started working at an insurance company. It was a fantastic experience. And I worked there for a few years and started to have these experiences and um, decided I was going to go to law school. So I applied and was going to go to Roger Williams Law School in Rhode Island. Um, it was going to be their first law school. They were just the first opening. class. Yes, first class. Um, but I put that on hold because, you know, life decisions and we decided to move and moving to Michigan allowed me to go to law school full time. And so I hadn't been in school and I applied to go um, to Michigan State, Detroit College of Law and went there. And so our move allowed me to do law school full time and so that I could get it done and get going. So here's a question for you as a you're a mom mm-hmm. as well, and and so now you're an attorney. Were you were you already an attorney when you had kids, or did you guys have kids as you went through law school? I so I was married. We didn't have kids when I was in law school, but I got pregnant my final year, my third year of law school, and was actually due to deliver my first child. Um, within days of the bar exam that I had been preparing for. Holy smokes. Yeah. And so how was that process? What was that experience like where you're literally thinking, man, I've got this new life that's about to come in the world. I've got the biggest test I've ever had coming right in front of me. They're, they're, they're on a collision course to happen at the same time. What was the, the mental and emotional space that that was for you? It was tough. <laughs> yeah. Um, the school part was not, right? So I finished school and kept doing what I had been doing for years. And so I studied and prepared for the bar and I was working, I was interning at a firm and, um, and I just kept prepping away. So that part was pretty methodical, right? But the, the baby family part and job part was tough. Um, I kind of chuckled to myself looking back, going on interviews where, you know, they hadn't seen me and I come in like eight months pregnant, right? Like, <laughs> I'm not sure what I expected. I'm not sure like what they didn't expect what they saw. Um, I kind of laugh about that now, but, um, but yeah, I uh, got induced a week before the bar exam, sat for the bar exam and got a job, started working. Wow. Now, so here's an off the wall question. During the bar exam, did you have the baby with you? Did you have to leave the baby? I mean, you get nursing, you're doing, you're trying to, you got a week old baby. Mm-hmm. So how, how do you navigate taking the test? So I navigated it this way. Um, my parents, so we were in Michigan at the time, um, living in the Detroit area. The bar exam was in East Lansing, about an hour, hour and a half away. Um, my parents came into town to see their new grandson and they drove me there and we took the exam at the Breslin Center at Michigan State. So down at the bottom, you know, for of a basketball court and during, and my parents, you know, walked around East Lansing with a stroller with the baby while I sat and during, during breaks, I came out, <laughs> saw my child, <laughs> fed him. And went back and finished the exam. That is incredible. I'll yeah. bet you were the only, only new mom yeah. taking the ball. I wouldn't recommend it. It's, I wouldn't recommend yeah. it either. <laughs> it wasn't well planned, but yeah. Well, we know, did that, it. those things never yeah, are well planned. We did it. So uh, congratulations on that. Thanks. What an, a huge accomplishment. That mm-hmm. like is beyond impressive. And it really sets the stage for, I think, where you go from there. So now you start your career in law and um, you didn't start 
right into PI, did you? Into, into personal injury? Um, your first no. your first legal No, job? I I had I had had a few um I had a few jobs, but I started working um, at a firm in Michigan and I started doing asbestos work. So we were doing um, mass tort litigation. Um, there was still quite a bit of that going on in the Detroit area due in part to the steel mills and the auto factories. Um, and so there were there was lots of litigation in Michigan, but we were also helping coordinate for some clients on a national level. And so I was a brandy new attorney. And so I think I got sworn in. And I think that afternoon I led a deposition. That, wow. Yeah. Wow. That is impressive. Yeah. So. And so you go through the asbestos and then you moved into working for the auto accident side, but more on the insurance side, right? Where you're, if there's a claim against an insurance company, you're helping them say, well, wait a minute, we need to look at this mm -hmm. from a perspective of how, how much is reasonable, how much care should be paid for that kind of mm -hmm. thing. Is that kind of where it took you? So for um, several years, we did asbestos litigation, which I loved. Um, not Why did because, you love that? What was it that was so yeah, intriguing about that? I, it wasn't necessarily the asbestos part. There's nothing to love there. But what was truly amazing um, was, and I used to do this with Colleen Calandra and Brian Calandra. They were in the same group. Um, yeah, and those are, for those people listening, those are uh, attorneys here at the firm as well. And so we had depositions that were two a day for weeks, months, you know, so you're meeting just tons of people and they are really amazing people. Um, I, it really intrigued me about their experiences in Detroit in its heyday, number one, which is cool. Um, but number two, they're just so smart. Um, they're hardworking. They're really smart. Um, they're really handy. They know how to work. They know how to relax. Um, and, I mean, they were building homes, they were building cabins, they were redoing cars. They're just kind of people that you don't often meet anymore, right? Yes, yes. Yeah. And so you got, how did you transition from there? Did, because you left from there to come to Colorado or how did you get out of the asbestos world and more into the auto side? Um, well, asbestos, um, you know, after doing that for some years, I was just looking for a change. And so I started um, working at some firms in Michigan that worked through their insurance PIP system. So kind of in the auto business, but, a, you know, personal injury, but a little different. Um, when I was there, we, I worked at times representing insurance companies. I worked at times uh, representing medical providers um, in Michigan. They had a direct cause of action. So we had a seat at the table for them and the services they provided and the expenses that they were owed. Um, and we also represented plaintiffs, injured, in, injured people mm -hmm. um, in their claims. So I kind of worked all around there, just kind of getting the perspective of everybody involved. Very cool. Yeah, it was. And, and so what I think if I remember right, what brought you to Colorado was you just loved the place, right? You guys just loved love the environment? Is that kind yeah. of what? Yeah. So my husband had been coming here for years, you know, throughout his life. And he took me once when I was an undergrad, loved it, right? Loved it. And so over the years, you know, our road trips always seemed to pass through Colorado Springs. And the last one, we were kind of, I think we both were looking in our rearview mirror, like, what are we doing? And so, yeah, we went home. I set up a cork board 
we decided we were going to artificially pick a date. Our kids were going to be out of school by this date, and that's when we were going to move. And I cannot tell you right now how that happened, but that's exactly what happened. So let's visit that for a minute because mm -hmm. there's, I think there's a principle that anyone listening can can learn from with respect to take me to the cork board. What was the exercise, the thought process? Did you put pictures on it? Did yeah. you put words on it? Did you take magazine articles? Mm -hmm. What was on Everything. the cork board? So we had a number countdown that we changed every day. It was, you know, our, our countdown to Colorado. We had, it was decorated. Um, it had stickers and, you know, and everything you could imagine. And slowly but surely, like it, those steps just went into place. Um, I, I got my license here to practice. I started looking for a job. You know, we were putting our house on the market. We were kind of slowly prepping our home and our family to move. And yeah, I, I got a job. You know, I think within a couple of weeks, our house sold and we moved. I, Do you know what they call that? That's, that's luck under the definition of labor under correct knowledge. I really believe that because you guys set out a dream, you put the goal out there, you put the steps down, the different sections of it, whether in pictures or in writing, you looked at it every day. It was the top of mind consciousness. And then you just checked it off one thing at a time. So it just so happens that your house sells. It just so happens that you get a job. Well, you did every step that you could to make sure that the correct knowledge and the labor under that knowledge led to the quote unquote lucky outcome which brought you here. That is such a cool thing. Have you seen that work itself out in other areas of your life? Are you, are you kind of geared that way where you, you see it, you document it, you lay it all out and then you just implement the plan? You know, we did that without really much thought behind it. You know, we, it was just, it was just kind of putting what we wanted to happen out there. We weren't when I look back, it seems like we were willing it to happen, but there wasn't that much thought behind it besides like, hey, let's, you know, here's our deadline. We're going to move. And yeah, by golly, the kids are done with school and we're ready to move. And so we hadn't done anything like that's really that methodically. But um, I, my husband and I have now put a cork board in our room um, and we put things on there that we want to happen. Um, like you know, what? Can you share some of them with us? Um, you know, goals that we might um, want to remind ourselves of. You know, it's kind of in our closet area, so we walk by it. Um, so I've got, I've got right now, I've got a calendar of kind of things I want to do running wise, right? That I can check off. Um, it might be weight goals. Um, I've got reminders to myself to eat right, meditate, like just kind of like a thought board. Yes. We have like financial stuff up there. So it's front of mind. In other words, it's not in paper, like mm -hmm. buried, but like, here's what we're working towards. Um, so we have started doing those kinds of things. Um, not quite as methodically as our trip to Colorado, but it's, it's there. Because that seemed like a bigger thing, right? Mm -hmm. In your life. And so you take it at a different level. I, I agree with you. And you know, it's funny, I was cleaning out stuff from the end of the year. So it's the start of the new year and and you'd be surprised how much junk collects in a briefcase. Just throw this paper, throw this paper, throw this paper and on a desk. And so I'm going through all these things, right? To get the new year started, right? I think a clean space leads to a clean mind and it leads to good results. That's for me anyway. Mm -hmm. So I'm looking through all this stuff and then I start looking through other stuff and it kind of leads me down a rabbit trail. And I start finding, things that I wrote in 2015 
about goals and about mm-hmm. these kind of things. And then I find a picture board of things that I had written down about a, a kind of car that I wanted and you know that kind of stuff. And I was I remembered I had a picture of an FJ Cruiser, which is a Toyota mm-hmm. product that's like a Bronco or a Jeep. And the Jeep, because the Jeep had just come out with the four-door version, the Rubicon. And I had both of those on there because I didn't know which one I want. And I ended up getting the Rubicon, right? And of course, as you know, now I drive a Gladiator, which is a a Rubicon with a truck bed on it. And it was so cool for me to see that. And then I saw one of a a house and it wasn't that I wanted that house. It was that kind of house. And and that was from many years ago. And now we live in a house that's similar to that. And all those things, the mental stimulation of just putting it out there. I love the term that you use, putting it out there. It's huge, isn't it? It's it's real. I've, um, yeah, and I guess I don't think about that much, but I do I do believe in that. Um, this year I was, I, I ran across something that kind of, it triggers random thoughts for me, but maybe on a more personal level and maybe a, a little different than these boards that are shared by a lot of people. I kind of did my own and the idea this woman had, which I thought was a nice one, was like, okay, kind of like give yourself an hour, go back and look at what you did last year, right? Some key goals, some things that you're proud of. Um, this isn't a time for negative thoughts, right? Like, you know, getting down on yourself. It's like, this is what I achieved and I accomplished. And then on the bottom half, you know, things that you want to do this year, right? And again, not to self-edit yourself, like to think that that's silly or whatever, but put it out there. Um, And she also recommended, you know, if you have keywords, and I know you've mentioned this and the firm has talked about this, right? Kind of themes and keywords that um, you kind of want to work by maybe for a year or whatever the time period is, Mm -hmm. which I kind of struggled with, but I made myself really try and hone in on stuff for this year. Yes. And so I did that and we'll see where we're at, but it was kind of nice to go back because you kind of forget or wash over maybe some, what were probably big things. You're right. And I'm so bad at the reflection side. Mm -hmm. I am really good at the forward, go forward plan. In fact, it's funny, as you were talking about this, something flashed into my mind that I've done a long time ago and I haven't really broken it out with respect to the boards. What I decided to do one year was to put uh, all those in pictures, digital pictures, and then put those on a frame, which at the time was brand new and mm-hmm. you could make the digital frame switch. Yeah. And so all the things that I that I had on my mind, whether it be through uh, physical and health, mental, emotional or spiritual, financial contribution, anything, I threw it on this disc. So I had pictures of my family, pictures of fishing trips that I would like to take, you know, pictures of this, that, and the other. And it was just so cool because where I would sit, then the pictures would just flash in front of my mind. And I think, you know, that's a potentially a good exercise that people could do like on your, on your board. And, um, as I'm, as I'm thinking about the, what you're talking about with your themes longer or shorter, my word for the year is flow Hmm. and flow for me is a theme. It's, um, there's a real scientific uh, study. There's a lot of scientific research on being in flow state Mm -hmm. or in the zone is what a lot of athletes call it. So every day now I'm finding myself in my little morning routine of waking up. Part of my morning routine is I look at one YouTube video on flow and I will look at one YouTube video on some kind of ancient wisdom. Mm-hmm. And I generally keep them about, you know, seven to 15 minutes each and just spend time looking at that. But it's surprising, like, cause you carry that through your day, even if kind of unconsciously. Mm-hmm. So I'm really good at that, but reflecting, mm-hmm. horrible at reflecting, I have reflected since I was cleaning my, like it took me cleaning right. my desk to reflect. and. I think we could all benefit from that. To 
purposefully reflect. Yes. Right. Like, yes. and she, if you ever do it or anybody wants to do it, she recommended, you know, taking time and with whatever you catalog, right. If you've got a calendar, your phone, and just kind of noting those things. And it was, it's nice to remember like, wow, like we really did do a lot, right. 2020 wasn't the greatest, but yeah, these are all the cool things that we did and experienced and <clears throat> kind of generates your thoughts about what you want to do for the next year. And so one of my words, I've got two this year, one of them is intentional and wanting one of them is meaningful. Um, and so this is kind of my attempt to be a little bit more intentional about what I'm doing and to kind of know why I'm doing it. Yeah. What about meaningful? Meaningful? Yeah. Tell me about that. Um, I just, I, my thought behind it is to have more meaningful experiences, more meaningful relationships, just not that what I've had hasn't been meaningful, yes. but that to seek those out um, and not, not so that it's meaningful to me, right? It can be like a, a brief encounter with somebody, but it was a meaningful encounter um, to to have conversations that, you know, and not, not everyone, of course, is going to be like this, right? Like these deep conversations, but to maybe be a little bit more intentional, intentional about having meaning behind what you're doing. Yes, because that's going to bring context and fulfillment to right. as many moments of your life as you can. Mm -hmm. And who you're doing it with. Yes, you know? yes. I always used to ask it when I was talking in businesses, whether it be one of my own or consulting stuff, I'd always say, what do we want to do? And who do we want to do it with? If mm -hmm. you can answer those questions, right? Including your life, what do you want to do in your life? And who do you want to do it with? Man, doesn't that just put away a lot of the nonsense? It just yeah. drives it away. If you can figure that out. It seems like it. <laughs> we're a work in progress here. We're, we're all a big work in progress. <laughs> work in progress. And so speaking of work in progress, you decide to go into the auto side and you were on the side that is again, defending the insurance company from someone who has been in a personal injury situation, right? Mm -hmm. And so you did that. What was your experience when you were working on, we'll just call it that side mm -hmm. of the situation? So when I, when I moved to Michigan, uh, I'm sorry, when we moved to Colorado, um, when I got my job here and moved here, um, I worked at a defense firm and it was really fabulous. Um, great people and had a lot of experiences, one of which was injury, but we were often representing insurance companies in variety of types of claims um, that included bodily injury. And my experience there is that there are good people everywhere. Yes. <laughs> you know, and I, I think that gets lost um, in our conversation, which is clearly the case, you know, in all sorts of aspects of our lives right now. But um, I think we're quick to jump to conclusions about how a side is going to react, what they're going to say, what their position is, when I think that there are quite reasonable people on all sides of one problem or so one situation. Good. So, so good. Yeah. And you know, it's interesting because I can put myself in that same position as a chiropractor. It was always, wait a minute, the medical doctor looks at things one way, the chiropractor looks at things another way, maybe the PT looks at things one way. And instead of us saying, you're a knucklehead. You don't know what you're talking about, which was so common, especially back in the day between chiropractic and medical, an integrated model of looking like, hey, maybe you're just doing the best you can. Maybe you're just doing the best you can. And then we figure out what commonalities we have. And what I'm hearing you say is on when it comes to someone who's 
going through some sort of injury situation and they have to file a claim. There are good people on both sides of that. And the, it's the assumption of whatever side you're on to think the other side is trying to kind of get over or take advantage. It seems to be the case. And now um, since working here, I get to talk with um, individual clients more. And that does seem to be a common prejudice. Um, I often talk to people in law who, you know, their first reaction might be, well, I couldn't, you know, I couldn't work on the other side. If I do this, I couldn't work on that side. And it's, that's kind of an odd, I think, thing to say, you know, because you're, you're clearly experienced working on problem A. Um, you have perspective. I, I think it only benefits to have, to gain more perspective. It's either going to strengthen your side, your case, whichever one you're trying to make or inform you some way. Um, and I'm not sure why you wouldn't want that. Absolutely. And I would, I would argue that you have a unique perspective as an attorney because now you work here at Ramos Law and you, like you say, you work for the people who were injured and it wasn't their fault in the crash. And so now they're saying, hey, I need my medical bills paid and I need to, to get some recovery because my life got derailed for mm -hmm. a time. Can you give, uh, I, I would think it would be an advantage to you having been able to be on both sides of the fence. On one side, you're defending the insurance company from not having to pay out as much that, or whatever they don't think is fair. Mm -hmm. They're saving money. They don't want to pay more than what they should. On the other side, you're trying to get what's fair for the client. Because you've been on both sides, what kind of advantage do you think that gives you when looking at a case, when negotiating with an, an insurance company and thing like that? Do you see that that's been a value? I think it's valuable because I'm open to the perspective. So I don't think it's unique to me, um, but I think if you can be open to somebody else's perspective and hear it, um, you're gonna benefit because you're gonna be able to better evaluate your case, your situation up or down. Um, so coming into this, I might have maybe a leg up because I may have been working defense side and know or have an idea of what they're looking for or how they would be looking at it or what's going to get their attention and what they may overlook and why. Um, but still, it, these are all pieces of, you know, the same puzzle. So I might just be a little bit more attuned to that. Um, but on the flip side, I think it is it can be a disadvantage because being open to perspective might make it seem like you're less of an advocate um, for a side. Um, you know, being more reasonable is not always what people want, you know? Um, so it's, it's touchy. I yeah, think. well, I would say from my, just from me looking at the outside as your team member, that when I look at the um, rave reviews you get from the clients that you work with personally, that you take care of, that you meet with, um, that basically you serve, all the reviews I see are that you're a rock star. So evidently they are really happy with your, your way of diplomacy and, you know, just looking at being their advocate at the same time, being open-minded, doing what's right and being fair. So I think that's really important. Um, I would wonder from your perspective, what is the toughest thing that you see about what your job is when it comes to um, working with someone who's been injured? Is it is it that dealing with the insurance company on the other side? Is it explaining to the 
client what their needs are? Is, is there something in particular that you find is more challenging or drives you more than other parts of your, your job? Um, I spend a lot of time explaining. Um, you know, we started off talking about education and helping people. And this is by no means to say the people I'm talking with aren't educated. They might just not have the knowledge or perspective that I'm trying to give to them. And so trying to make sure clients have what they need to be able to participate in a conversation with me um, about a particular issue, to be able to feel like they have enough confidence to make decisions they need to, um, takes time. Right, and you're, listen, your personality, you're such a calming, even keel person. And when you're getting these people, especially at the beginning, either at the beginning or really late in their case, they're at their worst. At the beginning, I mean, me being a, a chiropractor by training, I treated, many, many, many car accidents. And when they would first come in, I wasn't seeing the real human. I was seeing the injured person who was pissed off and mm -hmm. upset and hurting, in pain, can't sleep, so they're not fresh. I'm seeing that person. The other person, at the end, they've been dealing with this for a year or a year and a half or going on two years. They're very frustrated because their life isn't back to where it was. They feel that they've lost so much. And so I could see where your approach and how you go about explaining to them, they're, they're not in a really good receptive space to, to have these, some of these conversations you were talking about, but right. because of your nature of being kind and compassionate, but very easy, very just nice and smooth for them. I, I imagine that they find that really valuable. I hope so. Um, I, it's not an area that I want to um, curtail or cut short. Um, and so it, it takes a fair amount of time. Um, my clients have my direct number, the phone rings. And if I'm available, if I'm not on a call, another call and I'm in the room and hear it, I answer the phone. And so I take them as they, as they need me. And I try and answer their questions where they are. Um, I have found these last few weeks that COVID and anxiety in all sorts of areas of our life is real um, because- And when you say last few weeks, it's it's based not only on COVID, but election tension and every, yeah. social yes. injustice, everything, everything kind of culminating to a head, new year, all that kind of stuff. And it seems like it's really culminating because even in my small orbit of contacts, right, I'm talking to people and- they have the accident lingering over them. They've got their injuries and treatment that are already stressing them out and whatever financial burdens they have because of that. But on top of that, there's this extra layer of anxiety that's been, you know, just one more layer to get through lately in trying to talk to them about and to, to make sure that we're hearing their needs and trying to assist them how they can, how we, how best we can. So that's time consuming. Um, it's, it's a, it's a difficult and it's a difficult game that requires a lot of patience Yes. to make sure you're hearing people. And sometimes it might just be that they want, you know, people want to be heard right? and that's fine too. But, um, that it's not a difficult part, but that's, 
that's that's a constant and working aspect of the day. What about the flip side? What's your favorite or most fulfilling part of what you do um, as an attorney, especially specifically, I guess, a a personal injury attorney? Uh, Feeling like I've made some difference um, with whoever it is I'm talking to. Um, getting, feeling like I have maybe relieved some stress instead of adding it. And that is often a message I give to people I talk to. My goal in talking, if I start to sense agitation because, you know, maybe they're not understanding or they don't feel like they're getting their message, it's, I'm not here to add stress. Um, My goal is to relieve that. So, you know, then we start really talking maybe a little more simple and a little plainer. Like, what do you need? Tell me what you need. Um, those are the best moments, I think, if, if I can get that answer, right? Um, maybe relieve that kind of nagging thought before somebody might go to bed, right? That's just kind of lingering. So I like that part of it. That's very yeah. cool. This has been an amazing conversation and I can't believe we've already gone 37 minutes that's just because you're just giving all this good wisdom and all this good (laughs) juju. I feel it. I feel it. I want to ask you one final question. And the question is this, if you had one piece of advice that either you've been given, that has been a guidepost for you to help you get to where you are right now, or one piece of advice you've learned along the way that you would share with, um, with us, what would that be? God, that's a tough one. I ask tough questions. I know. Um, There's so many, but it might just be to believe in yourself. Okay. Um, you know, I think even in my, you know, I often you you want to emulate somebody else, and I've learned over the years that never works for me because what somebody can do, somebody else can do comes naturally to them, but it doesn't to me. So I think being comfortable with who you are and what your strengths and weaknesses are is probably the best thing you can do to start learning who you want to be and what you want to do and how you want to do it. Did you have any ways that you went about transitioning from, and, and I'm with you, I think role, model, role models are critically important. I think they're awesome, but I think you also have to take into account their natural strengths and how things come natural to them. Was there a a series of things that you did or anything you can think of that you would pass on to say, how do you, how do you get good at accepting who you are in your own skin? For me, unfortunately, it's been (laughs) a painful and long process and maybe one that's come with age. Um, and just kind of having gone through these experiences and maybe just getting tired of trying, um, trying things that just aren't working and then realizing finally it's just within me to do what I want to do. But I'm hoping that maybe somebody, I'm hoping my kids hearing that or, you know, people younger might not waste so much time and effort, you know, and start things a little earlier. I was thinking about that as you were answering, because the question literally, I mean, you know, we didn't practice any of this. We're just Mm -hmm. talking back and forth. And because I'm putting this concerted effort on studying on flow state, it really makes me think like, 
when we're engaged, when we're fully embracing the moment of what we're in and not because of specifically the outcome. In fact, something I learned this morning was don't try to have two outcomes at any given time. Whatever you're working on, there should be an outcome for that thing. And the second the, the, that a second or third outcome comes in, you're going to derail flow. And I'm like, okay, but what about not even like knowing the direction you're going, but let's talk about instead of going straight to the outcome, what about the process? It's the process. It's the process. If you're engaged in that moment and it feels like if you feel truly alive in what you're doing, then I think now, from my perspective, now we're in it. Now yeah. we're in that place where we, we're truly being our authentic selves. You know what I mean? So I would add that to, yeah. to your answer it's of, not the of time and experience. Yeah, that you gotta you gotta feel it and, and you only feel it by trying. Right. And I mean, you I mean, there's so much information out there. There's recent stuff written. I'm sure you've um, seen it about Olympians, you know, about how their feelings are and reactions are winning certain levels or not. And, and so I think there's probably more information about reaching that goal, whether you achieved it or didn't. It's just a moment, it, yes. you know, but it's, it's that whole process getting there that you're overlooking, but that's really where it's at. I love it. Yeah. Well, you have helped this become a great moment for me. Thank you. I'm sure the audience is feeling the same thing. Again, you just have this really cool, really just fun, nice vibe to you that that <laughs> I'm getting, cool. right? And and I've had that from as our friendship has developed, but I'm sure the audience has too. So um, I wish you nothing but continued success. Thank you for joining us on the show. And please, please. Um, oh, by the way, if anybody had a question, wanted to reach out and connect with you, on something that you might've talked about today, whether it's um, how to get into law school or mm -hmm. what happens if you've been in an accident, how would they reach you? Um, well, I'm at, so I'm at the Colorado Springs office um, full-time. We're on Explorer Drive. Mm -hmm. um, I wish I remember the numbers right now, but <laughs> no, we're on Explorer we just Drive. Yeah. We just moved. I, yeah. I don't even know the numbers right now. Um, but it's all over the web. So people can yeah. feel free so to, to drop Ramoslaw. in and say hi and yeah, have a yeah. coffee and we could chat about whatever it is. Absolutely. And you can go to ramoslaw.com also. Um, and if you needed to, if you're not from right around the Springs area, please feel free. You can call us and we'll make sure that we get the number even transferred at 303-733-6353 would get you to where we could get you transferred to Alicia too. So Alicia, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank I you. hope you've enjoyed your time. I, I know I have. Yeah. And uh, we'll be visiting with you very soon. Perfect.